0: Welcome to Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. It's a weekly show that goes out over YouTube and as a podcast over all of the major channels. And each week I get to sit with an inspiring person and listen to them tell their story and share it with all of you. This week is though different. I'm joined by Renee Vaughan-Sutherland. Welcome, Renee. Hey, Craig. You've got this wonderful halo around (laughs) you sitting there in your studio and it's such an amazing view. Uh, which, uh, which shows off the sunshine we're getting a little bit of uh, right now in London. Probably change a bit uh, in a moment. Renee uh, is a freelance artist and creative director, founder of the podcast Greater Than 11%. Started out actually in a rather different field as a project manager in uh, primarily local government uh, into sort of process re-engineering and, and this sort of thing had a pivot with university in between, and uh, for the last 15 years or so has been a creative in the really mainstream sense of the word, so an artist, um, a creative director, um, and also done quite a lot of producing. Uh, Was the chief creative officer at one stage in The Hub, which is a video production company, Um, is currently an artist working in celluloid video installation and performance art has exhibited uh, her pieces throughout uh, the world, primarily in Europe, and also a tutor at the University of Essex um, around creative production. It's a real privilege for me, Renee, to welcome a real life creative uh, to to the show. Uh, I'm fascinated by what you do. Uh, Tell us what drew you uh, to art in the first place.
1: Well, I've always been creative. As a child, uh, I've definitely always focused, always had been drawn to. So I used to draw, like, nonstop. And I I grew up um, on the southern side of the world, like yourself, and I grew up on a large property. And I would go and sit in my father's shed, because all Australian men typically have a shed. Uh, And I would draw all day, and I had an old-school desk, and that's what I did, and I loved it. And I started then using collage, and actually – foraging from plants and trees and sticking things to paper and yeah, my mother really encouraged that. And as a result, that just continued. And I was always drawn to film. I used to get up, I don't know if it's a a Kiwi thing as well, but did you ever have Rage? You know, the the music show in the mornings?
0: I didn't. I had it I had it as the uh sort of symptom of anger, but (laughs) not the television show.
1: Well in Australia on a like uh Friday morning, Saturday morning or Sunday morning, I think, they would show all the kind of pop music, you know, that was, like, in the top 100. And I would get up at, like, 5 in the morning and watch all the music videos. And I got a camera around age 12, 13 and was, like, nonstop taking photos. So it's always been part of my thinking as such. Um, so, yeah, it hasn't, like, I didn't come to it. I think I just always intuitively did it.
0: It's always been there. But the, there came a point of, uh, in your professional life that you took the rather – courageous leap from uh, project management and process reengineering, which is a very uh, business oriented skill, uh, over into the creative world. What, uh, what triggered that?
1: Well, I'd left Australia. I'd just turned 20. I'd gone to France and lived in France for a year, had the time of my life, uh, came to England because my grandparents are English, hence me being able to live here, absolutely hated it, hated London, <laughs> wanted to move back to the south of France um, and wasn't really sure what I was going to do with my life, really. I mean, it was just about traveling and experiencing things. And I'd again been taking photos nonstop. And in France, I'd taken like hundreds and hundreds of like um, rolls of, of film that's like pre digital. And I came here and I was working originally as a nanny, actually, just to because I arrived here with literally zero money. Um, and I took a photographic course and loved that and then got into like administrative work and then built myself up in local, local government and loved that work because I think about project management and change management, it is really lateral thinking. Like you have to think really creatively and in, in different ways about thinking about how to improve services or streamline things and I loved this and I was really fortunate in that I would get a lot of short-term contracts and I would typically work nine to ten months and then go off traveling two to three months again very antipodean and way of experiencing Europe when you first arrive here um, and it was on those trips that I was like more and more drawn to art I was like I was still painting, I was still photographing, but I wanted it to be a full-time thing. I wanted to have my career wrap around this notion that I could use my creative talents as currency so that I could actually immerse myself and really push myself outside my comfort zone rather than just taking photographs all the time and painting. And so, yeah, at 25, I was like, very dramatic and was like I've been on the earth a quarter of a century I need to do something I need a change and I kind of came back from a trip in Stockholm well actually I've been traveling all over but I've made this decision in Stockholm on the archipelago that I was going to go and study fine art like I knew I had to do it
0: oh brilliant well it's it's uh, aren't we lucky to to live in you live in Europe uh and have access to, to such art history and uh, wonderful stimulation. Once you've, you've spent some time, obviously, in in uh, Sweden and in and, and France. What's your What's your favourite go-to country from an art point of view?
1: Oh, from an art point of view, probably Germany. I think Germ- Germany has a range of art and access and really creative thinking. I mean, I love Hamburg. It's one of my favourite cities, amazing galleries, but Berlin, obviously, I mean, you can't skip past that. Um. yeah I would definitely say Germany for art but for actually traveling and for food it'd probably be Sicily.
0: Sicily well that's very specific and I certainly didn't expect you to say Germany though I absolutely adore Germany myself and particularly Berlin. Tell me what you're I'm, I'm not a creative with a capital C I, I'd like to think I'm creative from a business point of view uh, but it's not a, a discipline that I uh, I understand your discipline. What's your process? How do you how do you come up with the ideas uh, for your photography, for your installations, for your performance art? What's your process?
1: Yeah, so my artistic pro- process typically works around working with communities and working with the landscape. So I am particularly drawn to people and bodies, the body being a carrier of narrative and that being embedded in the landscape. So I will if commissioned or approaching a project or thinking about a project, I will focus on that theme. So at the moment I am thinking again I have had a I had a solo exhibition a few years ago where I looked at the witch hunts of the 1600s and the term Essex girl in the regions uh, in the region of Essex because the most witches executed Uh, In England, we're in Essex and I believe there's a correlation between the term Essex girl and those witch hunts 400 years later and I believe the body and the landscape is holding those narratives. So at the the moment I'm thinking about witches, I'm thinking about the landscape, I'm thinking about the healing of our ecology and also the healing of our bodies that are going through a pandemic that is vulnerable and thinking about how food found in the landscape and the way the witches used those foods to heal can be a way to think about uh, change in our society. So I take these points and I start thinking about them. I start researching. I will look at imagery and I will walk the landscape. I'm a big walker. So whenever I've got a project, I will walk and just feel the land, think about it, think about incidents that have happened maybe in those places through research, et cetera. And then I will start making the work. And it, it is a case of you know, things stuck all around the studio, um, looking at things, waking up in the middle of the night, making notes, it kind of, creative process is almost like a, it infects you um, until you can resolve it in some way.
0: Well, well that's, a, that's a masterclass in itself of lateral thinking. Um, uh, really interesting to listen to the how you approach it I'm sure as well you've noticed a lot of change I mean or have you uh, has art changed in the way that it's done and in the, in the surfaces that it's expressed in and if so how so
1: well obviously the digital age has changed art significantly you know in the last 15 years you know weirdly i work in 16 mil um you can probably i mean there's my editor there i'm going to turn this slightly you know so old school and you know you kind of have the you know you place the film on film is really tangible it's sculptural and digital is just you know pixels and but it creates i think what digital art does it democratizes access and it, it gives a lot more people opportunity to explore their creativity and be connected to the world through creativity. I have to admit, I was quite snobbish at first. I would never have put anything on Instagram or YouTube, et cetera. And I'm still a little wary of that. But I love artists that do. I love seeing work online. I love exploring it. And obviously during lockdown, that was like a saviour Um and I think that has changed. We've seen a significant change in that in the last 15 years. And we've got, seen a significant change in who gets to be creative and who gets to be an artist. So I am so pro it. I think, it, I think it's fantastic. And the rise of the illustrator, you know, we're seeing so, much more, so many more illustrators recently. And I love that. You know, I love illustration as a medium. I am not a fantastic drawer. That's why I gravitate towards photography and film. But, you know, I think that's what's brilliant about, you know, the last 15 or 20 years is that we've seen a real change and, and it's really hopeful.
0: Well, I suppose it's created new types of art that didn't exist sort of 15 to 20 years ago and uh, in, in new canvases, as it were, uh, with that, that, that we can we can express through. Um, let's change tax. Because uh, you're a you're an experienced podcast, you've got a huge podcast called Greater Than Eleven Percent.
1: Very um, intimidating
0: for me to interview you, actually, because it's usually you who's doing the interviewing. Tell us what Greater Than Eleven Percent is and how it came about.
1: Well, thank you so much for saying it's a huge podcast. I'd say, you know, it's a, it's a medium-sized podcast, and I'm super proud of it, and I love it. Um, so Greater 11% came about because back in May 2018, I was at an event, and I heard, you know, someone got up on stage, and they were talking about inequality and inequity within the creative sector um, and in media and comms, which is what, you know, we both also inhabit. And uh, they got up, and they said that only 11% of women currently hold the title of creative director. And I was completely flawed. I mean, I know that there's an inequality and T, but I was like, that's impossible. And it wasn't. And also, you know, that was even worse for anyone that, you know, was from the black community, from brown community. You know, I think it was hovering around 3% at, at that kind of um, level. So if you're a woman and you're black, you know, like it almost feels like impossible So I kind of thought about this and I was thinking about how shocking it was. And at the end of the event, um, the speaker got up and said, okay, so what are you all going to do about it? How are you going to bring about change? How are you going to make, you know, uh, it more equal? And I am just not someone that you can say that to. You know, I can't just be like, well, I'm going to do nothing. (laughs) So I literally lost sleep uh, for days thinking about how I could do something that would be effective, and I thought about my own career path. You know, I grew up as, as we discussed, as a really creative child. But the thought of having a creative career was never on the agenda. It wasn't encouraged. It wasn't uh, even an option. You know, I didn't really know what I could do or would do. I kind of moved into office work, administration. Um, I went off traveling because I felt, you know, very trapped, and I didn't know where I was going <laughs> with my life. And I knew it needed to be somewhere else. And, you know, I'd managed to carve out this creative career through graft, but also through a lot of people helping me, encouraging me, inspiring me along the way. And I thought, okay, there's some issues with um, barriers to entry. We know that the creative sector could be way more diverse and that actually it isn't that welcoming and it isn't putting in systems that help facilitate that. Yes, we are getting better, but they are there. But actually, if you go back a step, If you don't know what roles and what jobs are out there, then you can never aspire or work towards them. And so I decided to create a podcast because I am obsessive about podcasts. I absolutely love them. Um, And I would interview women about their creative roles, uh, how they got to be in them, what advice they would give, what skills you need, you know all that kind of stuff, so that you'd have all this information. It was free. It was accessible to anyone, regardless of gender. And it would also platform these amazing women, some at the very start of their careers, some at the, you know, had had long careers. And in that way, we would be able to then create, promote, and encourage, and like I said, because it was free and accessible to all. Kind of set myself the target of doing one a week for a year, 50 episodes. Um, and thought I'd have, like, four subscribers and maybe a few few listens. But by the end of that first series, we'd had just shy of 12,000 downloads, and that was all organic. I hadn't been promoting it, no advertising behind it, and it kind of took its life of its own. And I felt really passionate about continuing it because, again, it's something that I would have loved at 16, but also something that I probably would have loved at 25 when I was thinking, in my dramatic moment, what am I doing with my life, you know?
0: Well, it's impressive. And I think you've now interviewed more than 100 people and you've had 20,000 downloads. And as a fellow podcaster, I can confirm that is a big number. That is a big number, Uh, a very big number. So congratulations on that. Uh, I'll link it below. For those who are listening on a podcast, I'm pointing down, but have a look down in the description. There'll be a link there. To greater than 11% I've listened to a few of the podcasts that you've done I think they're great they're super interesting even if you're not a creative uh you know the stories are inspiring and uh and the conversation you have is super uh, super interesting as well um this this sort of leads us into uh your 20 for 20 idea uh mm-hmm. 20,000 downloads uh 20,000 pounds I think is the 20 for 20 reference. Uh, and it partially comes out of the impact of COVID. We're filming this and recording this right now in August 2020. Uh, so we've had a summer full of COVID and lockdown and various restrictions, and it's hit the creative industry super hard. Uh, tell us what your reflections are of how the creative community has been affected and how that's led you to the twenty twenty for 20 for idea.
1: Yeah, so twenty. 20- K for 20K, which is 20,000 pounds for 20,000 downloads. Um, I was fortunate enough to be introduced to you by uh, a mutual colleague, Crystal Isinger, who also is a co host on Greater than 11%. She runs a panel show once a month. Absolutely wonderful, creative energy, whip smart woman. And she coined that phrase like, oh, we're going to hit 20,000 downloads. Wouldn't it be great if we had a pound for every download? like you it's a self-funded initiative we do it on our own time um and it is for the for the greater good so that was the whole premise that you know if we could get a pound for every download that way we could raise twenty thousand pounds to help our fellow creatives because as you said we've had the pandemic we've had uh serious issues rolling out across the uk as a result of the pandemic you know creatives have been hit like seriously hard Specifically, because creatives tend to be either self employed, a limited company, part PAYE, maybe a mix of the two or those kind of things. They also tend to work contract to contract. So, you know, when lockdown happened and everyone was unsure of what was happening, you know, contracts dried up. People weren't eligible for certain government schemes. They also weren't eligible for like grants for the arts. They might have not hit the criteria exactly, or they might have fallen through the net in terms of the film and TV charity, and all the other organisations that were trying to help. I personally, because I kind of straddle certain different sectors, you know, I I cover the, the arts, I've got friends that are artists, I work with arts institutions, I work in media and comms as a, you know, as a freelancer, as a creative director, sometimes as a producer, and I also teach at Essex University on that kind of um, BA course. So I have a bit of a broad perspective of what, you know, certain creative people are going through and at different stages. And I have had friends that are really not in great ways. I've had friends that haven't worked pretty much since February and have literally run out of money. They're not eligible for furlough. They've got no income coming in. They are absolutely um the word a a friend of mine used she says I'm paralyzed I actually can't even make work at the moment because I don't know what to do you know the stories I'm hearing the conversations I'm having I've had a, a raft of people contacting me recently because they've been made redundant they're unsure of what to do next any thoughts you know advice so I spend a lot of time just chatting to fellow creatives one to reassure but also to get a sense and a lay of the land And that was the whole purpose for the 20K for 20K is that what we're trying to do is raise £20,000 so that we can issue £21,000 grants to people that really are underrepresented within our community because, you know, we have at one end of the creative industries a lot of cash and a lot of cash flow and a lot of income and then we have at the other end, you know, significantly underrepresented groups, people that are typically marginalised, people that are really struggling to even make ends meet to pay the rent. And that was that whole concept that we could maybe bridge the gap. We could ask those at the kind of more secure end to help support, you know, the others at the other end.
0: Well, you really are walking the talk, not only with the greater than 11% uh, podcasts, um, you know, 11%, only of people with a creative director title or women and uh, an even lower percent, I think you, you said three percent for black women, uh, in the 20 for uh, 20, for 20 uh, which I think is coming to an end, um, probably will have ended by the time this uh, gets published on the channel. If If you want to help, other than donating to a cause like this, what advice would you have for people? How can we All support the creative industry that we draw such energy and inspiration from.
1: I think there's a raft of ways people can help. If you are an industry leader, regardless of what part of the sector you fall in, whether it's the visual, performing, you know, media and comms, music, whatever, if you're in a position of leadership, you need to think about strategically how we bring more people in and support and nurture our community that might mean splitting up contracts and you know instead of issuing one contract giving two part time contracts or two different types of work thinking about how we include more people also thinking about outside our usual go to's who else can we bring in and then on a personal level we all benefit from creativity you know during lockdown the nhs were incredible you know social carers were incredible you know, people that were cleaning the host- hospitals, incredible. People that were collecting our litter, amazing. But in our locked-in situation, we were all watching Netflix, reading books, looking for creative ways in which we could nourish ourselves, distract ourselves, uh, enlighten ourselves, be stimulated. Those people that maybe made those or had a hand in making those could be the people that are really struggling right now. And, you know... Think about that and think about how you can reach out to them. Look out for artists via Instagram, via Twitter. Look out for artists like just do Google. Look for Google people and think about buying their artwork. Think about recommending people. Think about all the Christmas presents you've got coming up. Think about how creatively you can support individuals. Um, You know, nothing against Amazon, but, you know, you don't need to jump on Amazon. Think about how you can support local artists. Do a Google and look at, you know, Who's working locally? I think there's loads of ways that we can help support our community and really, really help our community
0: across the board. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, do you like my rainbow broccoli? That's my- I love I, it. This is a local artist uh, from Brick Lane. Uh, I so, absolutely yeah, love it. Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? And I like it and that stimulates me. And I think everyone has that sort of experience in some way, whatever your artistic preferences as a consumer. So something that all of us can do. One more piece of advice before we close. If you're an aspiring creative, uh, an artist, um, perhaps thinking about a pivot as you did in your career or uh, coming out of school uh, or an arts college, what advice would you have for them?
1: It is something that I came to quite late in life, and I say this to my students all the time, and it's two things, actually. Take risks. Failure is okay. I used to be so terrified of failure. I mean, 20K for 20K, I sat on it for a while thinking, should I do this? What if I don't hit the target? What if no one donates? And then I was like, actually, it's worse if I don't do it. If I don't do it, I'll never know, and I won't be able to do anything. But also creatively take risks. Sometimes the most... Unlikely ideas, the most obscure little throwaway ideas become amazing creations. And secondly, um, what's my second point? (laughs) I got very impassioned there. Um, Secondly, yes, this is something I definitely came late to in life is build a network. Know who your creative people are that you need to connect with, not just like-minded people. You need to find people outside your thinking. That will inspire and create you. That will open your creativity. That will connect you into the world and connect you into culture in a way that can't be
0: underestimated. I love, I love that quote, take risks, failure is okay. Take risks, failure is okay. That's going to be the thumbnail that we put on, uh, on this podcast. <laughs> Uh, Rene Vaughan Sutherland, you're an inspiration, a creative inspiration. You've done so much for the creative community. I really appreciate you joining me. Thanks.
1: Oh, Craig, thank you so much. And I, I definitely want to say that it's really obvious I had a really strong black coffee before this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> thank you, thank one, you. so much for inviting me. And thank you for doing this podcast. You know, like I love podcasts and it's great hearing from people that you don't always hear from. And you do that as well.
0: 100%. Thank you.